one of the main reasons to tune into the episode today is the fact that our conversation is a little bit different than maybe the the normal one in the mental health space, right? In this episode, we're we're laying it all on the table, talking about things um, that are difficult, right? We're talking about heavy subjects uh, and remaining authentic, uh, trying to not sugarcoat things and help people accelerate through uh, their mental health journeys in a way um, that maybe the you know the stereotypical conversation around mental health these days doesn't necessarily do. All right, welcome everyone to a new episode of the Neuroflex podcast. I am your host, Toby Passman. If you guys are at all familiar with brain mapping or have ever heard of neurofeedback, go ahead and check out neuroflex.com to take a look and see the offerings that we currently have. I currently offer mobile services to individuals in the St. Pete and Tampa area, along with Miami and Fort Lauderdale. So if you are in Florida, in one of those areas, uh, please reach out. I'd love to connect with you and do some individualized sessions. So on the show with us today, we have a very special guest, Brian Sachetta. Brian is the author of the Get Out of Your Head book series, a collection of personal development works focused on helping readers overcome various forms of mental illness. The first entry in that series, Get Out of Your Own Head, a toolkit for living with and overcoming anxiety, was released in 2018. Brian also runs a website and blog of the same name, and through his site, he offers written advice and coaching to clients looking to make strides in their battles with mental illness. Brian's desire to help others with anxiety and depression grew out of his own experiences with the afflictions. Throughout his work, he recounts his past struggles with them due to not having the right information at his disposal. That's why he's so passionate about using his skills to influence the lives of others, and he wants to help as many of his followers as possible avoid such a fate. So Brian, uh, super excited to have you on the show. Yeah, thanks for having me, Toby. I'm excited as well. Awesome. Well, tell me a little, just kind of, uh, you know, your, tell me a little about sort of your journey. You know, you mentioned, you know, you're, you're not a, a clinician in the mental health space, but you're just someone who has a, a really strong passion for it due to, you know, kind of some of the personal experiences that I briefly touched on in the intro, but, you know, tell me, tell me a little about just kind of your, you know, your relationship with mental health and, and your own mental health. Yeah, so uh, good question. The journey for me started somewhere in the high school uh, time time frame, uh, and then accelerated as I got into college. Uh, basically, started to realize that some of the things that I was dealing with were on the mental side, right? Where I was feeling really lousy for a period of time, whether there was some event coming up on the calendar, I had an exam, a track meet, or something like that. Uh, I, you know, I always referred to the feelings that I got in those situations as nervousness, and then. As I went through more of them and I suffered a couple panic attacks, uh, I started to realize that like what I was experiencing was was holding me back in life, was preventing me from living a normal life or at least the life that I wanted to, right? And I think at that point, when you experience that amount of pain or or that amount of a, a setback or something like that, an obstacle, you say to yourself like, okay, this is the point in time in which I need to do something about this. I need to find more information. I need to figure out what it is that I'm dealing with. And so um, I talk about it in the first book, there was a specific instance early on in college where I had been seeing this girl and uh, we both kind of liked each other. It was, you know, I'd say probably one or two weeks into college. 
and uh, was just trying to see where this relationship was going to go. Right. And she came over one night. Uh, she was relatively intoxicated. I was not. And this is not like I'm not trying to speak poorly of her or anything like that. Just recounting the experience and uh, being sober myself. I was pretty nervous. And so she came over and she was a little bit belligerent. And, you know, she sat down next to me and I'm sitting there like, oh, my God, my heart is racing. My, you know, my palms are sweating. I'm, I'm, I'm freaking out right now. Or I'm very nervous. And she picked up on that right away. And as soon as she sat down next to, she, next to me, she was like, oh, my God, what's happening? You're shaking like you're, you know, you're a freak, whatever. And like got up, stormed away, was like, don't talk to me again, whatever, ran back to her dorm. And that was like a really difficult situation for me to go through, especially at the age of 18, right? It's like, I'm not saying I'd want to deal with that today either at the age of 32, but when you're 18 and like kind of all you really know and all you really think you care about is like women and dating and, you know, your social circles and whatnot, that can be a really difficult experience to go through. So for me, it was, it really was. And I woke up the next day and I was like, okay, this is kind of one of those pivotal moments where I need to figure out what it is that just happened. Right. And I got on Google and I'm doing all this research. And, um, be, uh, you know, as you alluded to, I don't come from a clinical background. So it's like, I didn't know what to look for. I didn't know what, which terms to, to type into Google. And this is also 2008. So, you know, the, I would say the repository of information that's out there was smaller than it, than it is today, especially on the internet, right? Like the the web had not uh, grown as much at, at that point as it has um, today. So I, you know, I hopped online. I found some things that were helpful, some things that weren't helpful. But at the end of the day, that became sort of like the the entry point for me into the journey of saying, like, hey, I think this is something that I'm going to deal with for a decent amount of time. Uh, I might struggle with it for a while, and you know, I want to try to accelerate my journey through this, figure out what it is that I'm dealing with, and try to find some healing modalities for myself. Um, so that was the beginning of the journey. And obviously there's twists and turns. And um, as I went on that journey, it was kind of me learning different things, going to different experiences, trying out different strategies that I read online, or I picked up somewhere in a book or a, a journal article or something like that, trying to basically synthesize all this information that I had picked up and then see what worked for me. Uh, and as I made progress, both with anxiety and depression uh, over a period of somewhere between eight and 10 years, I said to myself, like, hey, I really... I have some good advice here, or at least advice that helped work for me. I want to try to share that with other folks in hopes that it will work for them as well or help them as well. So uh, it's not one of those things where it's like, I have all the answers and just come follow me. It was more like, you know, just given the fact that I struggled with this stuff for so long, uh, I, I'm passionate about it, right? I, I know how difficult and painful it is to experience these kinds of things. So it was me wanting to, uh, you know, starting the brand, starting the books, uh, the book series, writing those uh, was me wanting to, to give back a little bit, to share that information with other folks in hopes of sort of compressing their own timelines of pain uh, with anxiety and depression. So Brian, when you were recounting that, that story, you know, it, it sounds like after, after experiencing that kind of anxiety episode, you, you start taking a very like proactive approach in terms of figuring out ways to maybe deal with some of your anxiety and depression. Um, well, first kind of researching and finding out exactly what it was that you were going through and then learning different modalities that might be able to help. But was there ever a point in which you felt kind of stuck in terms of just thinking that, you know, this is just who I am, I'm going to always be like this? It's a good question. I would say, I never really felt that way. I think part of it was me saying to myself, like, hey, there are answers out there. I just have to find them. And so it, I didn't think to myself, like, this is who I am. I'm going to be stuck in this forever. I think it was more like, I know that what I'm looking for, some strategy, some way of thinking, some perspective 
is out there in some book, in some podcast, whatever it may be. I just need to find it. Um, that belief, I kind of held on to that pretty firmly. And that belief kind of led me on this sort of like dogged uh, persistence, uh, if you will, just, just continuing to plow forward and try to find whatever information it was that I was in search of. Um, I, I mean, I will say like another kind of a thing to add to that is, I think you do realize at some point on the journey that like, if you are experiencing anxiety and depression over a long period of time, it is definitely possible that that is like sort of who you are or you have those tendencies, right? Like you may have um, anxiety and depression may run in your family or you may have a mind that is predisposed to the, the thought patterns that lead to the, the feelings that we know of as anxiety and depression. Uh, but at the same time, I think even, even if you come to that conclusion, you realize like, hey, I now know what cards I have been dealt, right? And it's up to me to figure out how to play my hand properly. Um, so even if you do get to the point where you say like, this is a little bit how I am, you still know it's like, um, you know, if, if we're bringing a, a sort of a different analogy here, it's like, if you're overweight, or, you know, uh, you know, being uh, obese, or something like, like that runs in your family, it's like, okay, maybe that is the genetic disposition that I've been given, but I can still make my own choices, I can still eat properly, I can go to the gym, I can walk, I can run all those sorts of things. So for me, it was kind of having that approach, understanding that, hey, maybe, you know, like, um, some mental illnesses do run in my family. And that is part of, uh, you know, answering the question of like, did I feel as though this was who I was, maybe, a tiny bit, but again, I held on to that that uh, stubborn persistence that there was something out there that would help me play my hand a little bit better, if you will. Right, right, yeah. I mean, I think that's I, I love the points that you made right there because I think that's that's something big in in my work that sometimes uh, you know people some sometimes patients that I work with get too sort of stuck in their diagnoses and and feel as if you know it's it's sort of you know, just a, a sentence, you know, in terms of their, whatever their diagnosis is, and that they're just going to have to deal with that the rest of their life. And, you know, it's not necessarily the case. There's obviously ways of, of both coping with, with different mental health conditions, like we're talking about, but also just with, you know, the brain's plasticity, uh, you can actually, you know, rewire and, and change a lot of kind of the core, you know, beliefs and, activity that's that's kind of leading to those symptoms at least that's kind of the view that i take most definitely yeah i couldn't agree with that more um i think the plasticity is 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 one thing that is important to harp on right it's like uh we can feel as though the condition that we have is a a as you put it a a, a sentence right maybe not a, a death sentence but some sort of sentence that we don't want to deal with but uh the research shows that the brain can change right we can grow up uh, we can we can change the way we think we can change the way that we act. Um, and as I think, especially as we get older, right, there's some research that shows that uh, frontal lobe development in the brain uh, leads to the uh, our ability to have like a stronger uh, executive um, or, or like a better cognitive abilities, uh, sort of like an executive functioning, the ability to, you know, be a little bit more rational and guarded with our thoughts and say like, hey, you know, I'm going to choose to think about this instead of that today. Um, and that that kind of speaks to some of the plasticity as well. Whereas, you know, when we're 18, it's kind of like we're just these big balls of hormones and uh, energy and whatnot. And we're, we're thinking all these sorts of things that maybe, you know, don't serve us. But as we get older and our frontal lobes develop, I think it becomes a little bit more uh, easy or, or approachable to uh, to have that executive function and say like, you know, today I'm going to choose what I think about. And, and as a result, I'm going to experience a little bit less anxiety. Definitely. So 
Brian, in terms of like when you started, you know, on your journey and, and started reading up about different things that, um, you know, might be able to help uh, deal with the anxiety or depression, what were, you know, as you, you know, kind of began trying different things, like tell me about some of the things that you found, you know, what worked, what didn't work, uh, what, what did you find to be really helpful for you? Yeah, I think one thing that I'd like to touch on the most is, is the idea, this concept of like visualization or like sort of thinking about what we want to happen versus like thinking, like not thinking about what we don't want to happen. Um, I, I think the best umbrella term to put on it is visualization. Um, a lot of folks will say like in the self-help worlds, right? If we want a new car, if we want uh, some new job, money, whatever it is, we first need to visualize ourselves having it. And I think with anxiety, that becomes a really tricky subject in the sense that those of us who are anxious, we know that we tend to ruminate on the same sorts of ideas, right? And we also tend to bring negativity uh, into whatever it is that we focus on if, it, if it's um, you know, revolving around something that makes us anxious. So I'll, I'll use the example uh, of going on like a job interview, right? So I think in most self-help circles, somebody would say, if you want that job, you know, if you want to go to that interview and, and come out with a job offer or get that job in the end, you first need to see yourself in the interview, you know, succeeding. Uh, you need to see yourself getting the email or the phone call that says, hey, you've been uh, awarded the job and, you know, it's a great salary and whatnot. And don't get me wrong, like, if that works for you, that's great. And you should do that. Uh, you know, you should, you should go down, you know, that path of visualization. But I think for a lot of us who, uh, who suffer from anxiety, we find that often the things that we want get wrapped up with the things that we don't want. And then our propensity to cycle over our fears to, uh, you know, obsess over things in our minds, um, that makes the problem a lot worse. And so, you know, we go into these situations and we say, okay, I'm in the, you know, I'm in the interview, I'm doing well, look at this, like, uh, you know, I'm answering all the questions properly. And then all of a sudden that fear comes in and says like, oh, you know, what if I, what if I do poorly? What if I have a panic attack during the interview? What if I'm really nervous? What if I don't know what to say? And then that negativity gets wrapped up in the, the positivity or the potential positivity of, you know, what we want to happen in the situation, i.e. Um, the, getting a job offer. And then it becomes really hard for us to, to detach what we want from what we don't want. And then we go down these, uh, you know, these really deep, dark uh, thinking patterns about like, you know, just basically obsessing over the situation itself. And so what I like to say to folks is rather than, you know, telling yourself, I need to think about this certain outcome, I need to visualize myself having it before I can go and get it. Don't even think about the situation at all. If it's bringing you some kind of anxiety, I think if you go through enough of these situations in your life, you realize that like the, the notion that you have to uh, think about what you want in, or, in order for it to come to fruition is just total garbage, right? It's just not true. Um, and so it's like, you know, you almost need to have some scenarios in your life occur where you didn't think about what you want to happen uh, or wanted to happen. And then that thing still happened anyway. And then all of a sudden, you know, you sort of poke holes in your belief that you actually need to go through these uh, obsessive ruminative uh, thinking cycles, right? And so for me, it's, um, you know, I, I'm connecting this back to the brand itself, right? When I say, get out of your head, the reason why that's the, the name of my brand, the reason why that's the name of my book series is the notion that we spend so much time thinking about either what it is that we want, which is tied up in what we don't want, or just thinking about what we don't want at all, right? So we may say to ourselves, like, I don't want to experience anxiety. So here I am 
seeing myself not experiencing anxiety. And that is a really difficult thing to put into our brains because our brains just see this association and say, all I hear, all I see is anxiety. You know, fighting off the thing that I don't want really only leads me to that very thing. And so, um, you know, kind of a long-winded answer there, but, but that's like one of the core tenets of the brand, right, is, is not going into these deep, deep ruminative cycles uh, and, and just allowing our thinking to guide uh, or allowing our feelings to guide our thinking, right? If we're thinking about things that don't make us feel good, it's very difficult to change how we're thinking, but that's very much what we need to do. It's interesting because it seems like, you know, sometimes like, you know, the, the people, I think probably a lot of people have the experiences of like, you know, the harder you try to get something, sometimes it's like, or the harder you try to do something that more difficult it starts becoming, you know, and then when you kind of just let go of what, you know, whether it's the outcome or, you know, just really overthinking the situation, then it kind of just happens naturally. And you realize like, oh, I, I guess I didn't need to, you know, ruminate on this so much or hyper-focus kind of like, as you're saying, it just, that just is kind of what, what it makes me think of is, is sometimes we can, you know, sort of self-sabotage with our own thinking. Yeah, that's exactly it. So Brian, the, the first, as I mentioned in your intro, the, the first book you released, uh, The Get Out of Your Head, A Toolkit for Living With and Overcoming Anxiety. Tell me about just, you know, what were, you know, when you released that book, what were some of the responses like, you know, in building this community that you have, that you now have today? Like, what were some of the responses? Did people tell you that they had gone through similar things? Did they tell you, you know, what I'm experiencing, uh, you know, the way in which you sort of talk about it resonates with, you know, how, how I've been dealing with whatever kind of mental blocks it is like, like, what, what was just some of the feedback that you got from that first book? Yeah, the feedback was, it was like a little bit wide ranging. And I think part of that is the fact that my brand is, it's sort of niche, right? It's, it's very specific. You look at I mean, I have I have sort of changed my branding over the years, but the the tone of the book is is still the same, right? Um, but even folks who pick it up today and leave reviews online and whatnot, like um, their feedback is indicative of the the sort of niche nature uh, of my work. What I mean by that is that you know I I have a specific approach to mental health, and it's it's a little bit of like it's definitely a little bit different um, than some of the other content on the market, right? There are, there are a lot of books out there. There are a lot of brands out there um, in the mental health space that, you know, you, you look at their marketing or their content and you see like a lot of sunshine and rainbows and that's great, right? I think um, folks, there is certainly a, a, a part of the market. There are customers out there, right? There is a, a target market who loves that kind of stuff, who wants the positivity, who needs to feel that. Uh, I, on the other hand, I like to take a little bit more of a raw or rugged approach to mental health where like, basically my, if I were to sum it up, right, it's basically like laying all the cart, putting all the cards on the table, um, talking about everything that we need to talk about, not, not necessarily guarding ourselves from any specific subject, because it's, you know, sensitive or taboo or something like that, we're going to bring it all out there, talk about it and try to get through some of this stuff together. Uh, I think, in a lot of ways, how that then turns into the feedback that I get on, you know, the books and blogs and stuff like that is, I think that that approach is a little bit more inviting uh, from for men, I think that women, uh, at least and I, I mean, I'm generalizing for sure. Uh, but I but I feel as though like the feedback that I've gotten, I, it has seemed to be a little bit more positive 
uh, on uh, from males than females. I think um, just the fact that it is a little bit more like raw and in your face um, that sometimes works for like, you know, masculine personality, maybe not so much a feminine personality. Um, I will say that like some of the feedback has been awesome. I actually had a reader who reached out to me like totally randomly. Uh, I person lives on the West coast, sent me this really long email and was saying how the book really changed his life and helped save his marriage. And I mean, I, I mean, I always say like, you know, I, I didn't do this like this, you know, I, I mean this in like a, a humble way, right. It's like this person read the book, um, and then enacted changes in his own life that then improved it for the better. Right. It's like, I just, I just wrote the book and put it out there. And, um, you know, that person still needed to, uh, implement a lot of the different strategies that I put out there, but he, he liked the book so much. It had such an impact on his life that he actually got a tattoo, uh, of the snake brain logo that I have. So that was, you know, that was really like humbling or, uh, meaningful in a way where it was like, I'm out, you know, I'm out there helping people, um, change their lives for the better. And just knowing all the pain and suffering that I've been through. And I'm not, I'm not trying to like, uh, this isn't like the suffering Olympics, right? I'm not trying to say that my pain has been uh, any more difficult than anyone else's. I just know that what I have been through has been challenging for me. Being able to take that pain uh, and turn it into a force for good has been something that's been, um, you know, it's been really moving for me. Absolutely. And, and I think, you know, that, that sort of, uh, you know, I guess speaking as a, as a man myself, that raw kind of you know, just here, here it is right on the table sort of approach when it comes to like talking about serious, you know, topics such as mental health. I mean, that's, that's definitely, I feel like resonates with me the most, you know, there was a book I read a few years ago that I've reread a few times and recommend it to all sorts of different people, which is the the subtle art of not giving a fuck um, by Mark Manson. And that's sort of a, you know, it's, it's sort of a, a self-help book, yet it's also uh, kind of makes fun. Not, not, I don't even know if makes fun is the right word, but it's sort of a counterintuitive sort of self-help book and not necessarily all the, the sunshine and rainbows that you're talking about and, and not necessarily the, the just pure positivity, but more kind of like realistic, like here's what's going on, you know, here's the positive, here's the negative. But I think I think there's something that people, you know, can just sense about the authenticity of, you know, a book like that or, or you know, your approach uh, that that's sort of refreshing when, you know, sometimes the I think the, I think the, the, the positive, you know, the positive thinking, I think, is great. But when, you know, you're dealing with so much kind of negativity, when we're all dealing with so much negativity and, and issues going on within our own head, it's. I don't know. It, it almost comes off to me almost a little bit disingenuous sometimes when, you know, we're only hearing about just think, think positive, think, you know, repeat positive affirmations or just the sunshine and rainbows. Um, you know, not to say that the, there's anything wrong with affirmations, but I think there's just a lot more to it than maybe conventional self-help books sort of address. Yeah, I think you hit on a lot of good points there. Uh, you know, I, I heard like disingenuous, uh, a lot more to it than the, the normal books talk about. I think that's perfectly stated. I will say like, I, I've read all of Manson's books. I have even said before, like he is a, he is one of those, you know, if, if at some point, I, I, you know, I listen to a lot of uh, uh, rock music and you go on somebody's like Wikipedia page and it'll say like, you know, bands influences, right? It's like, if they ever made a Wikipedia page for me, and I don't know if they do this for authors or not, I would assume they don't. But, um, and if it said influences like 
Mark Manson would definitely be on there. I really like his approach. I follow him online. He talks about, yeah, just how, you know, traditional self-help is, is sort of superfluous or, um, you know, it makes you, it, it tries to make you feel good, but while ignoring like the things that you really need to talk about, right. It's a little bit, uh, comes off a little bit as BS sometimes. Uh, I do want like, trying to decide exactly how to say this, right? It's like, I loved his, I loved that the, the orange book, right? The subtle art. He had another mm-hmm. one that came out, which was a teal book after that. And I saw, I sort of saw that as like, you know, the first book or well, he had a, he had a book before that, but let's say the orange book was sort of like an anxiety book, like uh, vaguely, right? The second book, the teal one was sort of, sort of like a depression book a little bit. Um, I, I didn't like that second book. I felt like it was too dark. Like if I'm thinking about my own experiences, my own writing, I felt as though his second book almost kind of said like, hey, yeah, we're talking about all these things that we need to talk about, uh, you know, these dark subjects, we're laying it all on the table. But then I wanted there to be some redeeming factor to say like, hey, look, uh, the, you know, the, the, this book is called um, Everything is Blanked. Uh, I, try not, I try not to curse too much <laughs> on these on these episodes. Um, but so I, I wanted to read the book and say like, okay, everything is blank, but what can I still take away from it? What is the, what is the silver lining? Right. And I felt as though that book, it really just ended in like fire and flames and basically said like, you know, life is meaningless. The world is meaningless. Like everything is blank and that's it. And I, I just, I, I took such a problem with that. It was like, the book was so well done until the end. And I'm not trying to pan it at like, you know, he's, he's a great author. He's really, really good. Um, but I'm just kind of connecting it back to my own works where it was like, you know, I wrote a book about depression. And if that's all that we can provide to folks is like, hey, you know, like nihilism, you know, what is obviously the, that that word is associated with what what's the point. But I'm saying like from a book standpoint, what is the point of writing that? Right. It's like I still need to come to redemptive conclusions and say, hey, you may be go th- going through absolute hell right now, but let's find that silver lining. Let's figure out what it is that's going to help you change. And again, we need to bring in that authenticity. We need to, we, we can't sugarcoat things and say like, Hey, I know you're going through and like, it'll get better tomorrow. Cause like, it probably won't, I'll be totally honest. Right. But like, but at the same time, it probably will get better in six months, 12 months, two years, something like that. And so how do we turn the conversation around and say like, in those six months, what are we going to do to accelerate that journey, to accelerate that turnaround? That was one of the things that like, it just, oh man, I, I, again, I'm not trying to pan him. Like he's, he's a great, great author, but I just, I just took an issue with that book. Cause it was like, man, like we have to provide the, you know, the book with the subtitle was a book about hope. And it was sort of this like uh, bait and switch where it was like, oh, hope is this bad thing. Nobody should have hope. And I'm like, no, 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 no. Everybody should have hope. If you lose hope, you are, that is the literal definition of depression. And so we need to regain that. That's, oh man, I don't know. I don't want to go too far off on a tangent, but that that's how I feel about that one. Yeah. Yeah. I hear you. I, yeah, honestly, it's been, I, I did read that second book you're referring to. It's been a little while since I did read it, but I remember um, not necessarily connecting with it as much as, as the first book. And definitely the first book is the one that I always sort of, uh, you know, gift to people and tell people, oh, you need to read this book. So yeah, I, I'm not sure if maybe that was also what I got from that second book. Um, but, but yeah, definitely. I really, really enjoyed that first book. Yeah. Yeah. Maybe we just repressed the second right. one, but I, I would definitely, you know, just to try to make it a little more positive. Like I absolutely love the first book. Um, definitely recommend that to folks would, would recommend it to anybody who, who's looking to pick up a book in the mental health space, especially something that is a little different than the norm. For sure. 
for sure. Well, Brian, so I, I noticed, you know, that, that one of the services that you offer is, is coaching and, you know, working with other people to kind of, you know, better their mental health. And, and that's something I, I recently went through a coaching program uh, myself and, you know, sort of learning the differences between kind of coaching and therapy, but, but also seeing like, you know, there's a lot of kind of inter, uh, interconnectedness um, between, you know, between the two modalities and, uh, you know, they are similar yet still different. I just wanted to kind of hear, you know, what have you, have you talked to many, you know, like mental health professionals, any like psychologists, psychiatrists or counselors? And I was just curious, you know, whether they, you know, whether they, it's been like positive, like supportive of kind of like what you've been talking about or whether there's like a, uh, an amount of kind of resentment or, or negativity towards you for, for like setting foot in this mental health space without being like a, a licensed clinician? Yeah, that's, that's another good question. I would say that it comes down to my approach, right? Like I don't, I don't necessarily try to say, well, I definitely don't try to say that, you know, I am a clinician that I am uh, able to diagnose folks and treat them. I, I paint the coaching as like an entirely different product or offering. The coaching is basically, you know, me and somebody else having a, a good conversation, like having, it's basically, you know, one of my uh, clients having a conversation with me as if I were a good friend of theirs, but also a friend who is not, again, like bringing in the same theme is, is not sugarcoating things for them, right? It's like talking about their experiences, laying it on the line, being able to uh, turn around and share some of my experiences with them when I think it is helpful. Obviously, it's not always helpful. Um, but I don't, I don't even try to say like, like I, you know, right on the front page of, you know, all my, all my content, it's like, I'm not a doctor, I'm not a therapist, I'm not a clinician. The goal of this is not to treat you, uh, it is or, or treat you in, in a standard way, or a, you know, a stereotypical medical fashion, to uh, diagnose you, it's to supplement some of the, um, the other things that you're um, taking on in your life, right? So I, I would, it's like, I absolutely recommend that if somebody is, co is doing coaching with me, that they still have a therapist, that they still have um, an outlet uh, where they can get that traditional medical treatment or um, medical approach. Uh, and so it's like when I talk to, I've talked to a handful of, of practitioners themselves. And I think that whenever I make that point, the most obvious, whenever I say like, Hey, I'm not even pretending uh, to have this be a, uh, you know, a replacement of, of what you're doing. I think there's a little bit more, um, people are a little bit more receptive to it. I think it's whenever I, if, if I ever give the impression that like uh, what I am offering is a replacement and not a supplement, then at that point, folks are like, Oh, you know, you're not, you are not um, licensed. So I don't recommend doing that. So it it's, it's a nuanced answer because it comes down to not only like my own approach, but also how the person or the clinician that I'm talking to perceives and understands my approach. When I make it obvious as to what I'm doing, uh, I think that folks are more um, receptive of that. But when I, I think maybe if they just hear like, hey, this guy who's not a clinician is doing coaching, they may say to themselves, oh, he's basically trying to be a therapist and he's not. And, and I want to make that very clear that that's not what I'm trying to do. And then at that point, uh, it becomes easier to have a conversation about it and, and folks will open up to it a little bit more. Understood. Right. And Brian, kind of switching gears a little bit, um, you know, something that, that I saw uh, or that, that hit me when with your kind of um, your intro message 
just in terms of your interest in you know, kind of spirituality along with the the psychedelic movement that's currently going on you know tell me a little about how you see you know the the spiritual side of mental health and and how you see psychedelics uh, you know, potentially fitting into that or, or benefiting people's mental health. Yeah, I could talk about this one for a long time. I think this could be its own podcast episode, maybe several episodes. But I think if you look at depression in general, right, we what we are really seeing is a nihilistic movement, a, a movement of despair where people say to themselves, like, is this all there is to life, right? I think in general, uh, the West has sort of killed off God, right? Like, Frederick Nietzsche said that a long time ago, right? He said, God is dead. And I think that I'm not saying that everybody wants to live a religious or spiritual life, but I think there is some sort of yearning deep within the soul of people. And I, I say soul, like kind of loosely, I think just within all of our hearts, right? We want there to be meaning and purpose to our lives. And I think that in general, because the West has killed off God and you know, we focus on consumerism and fleeting um, desires and whatnot, we've, we've sort of lost touch with the spiritual side of things. And I think a lot of people crave um, having some sort of spiritual connection to something larger than themselves. And I think also that when we when we lose that sense, we start to fall into, a, you know, a prolonged state, uh, or some of us can fall into prolonged states of depression, where we say, you know, life is meaningless, there's nothing else uh, besides, you know, the physical world, whatever it is, uh, why do anything? Why get out of bed in the, in the morning? Why, you know, pursue my dreams, my goals, whatever it is. Um, you know, I, I define uh, de depression as, and, and as, I mean, I think a lot of people do, right? But it's like, I define depression as, you know, a, a pervasive state of, of helplessness and hopelessness. And it's like, from if you come in from the spiritual side of things, and you say, hey, life is meaningless, why do this? Why do that? It's, I think it's not hard to see how we could then fall into that state where we are both helpless and hopeless at the same time. Bringing the conversation back to psychedelics, I think that, um, you know, the, the conversation in general in, in that space is, is sort of this movement back towards spirituality, right? Trying to find, um, trying to find some sort of spiritual connection, a connection to something larger than ourselves. Uh, you know, I have had a few friends uh, that have done a various psychedelics. I've done, a, uh, well, I've actually only done one myself, um, but there is some sort of common thread there that basically says, you know, some of these psychedelics can help us reconnect to something larger than ourselves, reconnect to the spiritual side of things. Um, and I, you know, we're also seeing across the board, like, uh, there is a little bit of, of a, a movement going on right now. There's obviously some research studies uh, going on, basically trying to, to see if doing psychedelics can help with one one's long-term mental health, right? And I think a lot of that revolves around depression. So it's like, in, in theory, and I'm not saying this is exactly how it would uh, work or occur for everyone, but in theory, if, if you went on, you know, a psychedelic experience and you had a reconnection to, you know, whether it's uh, a deity or God or um, some larger force than yourself, I think you can then sometimes say to yourself and step back and be like, okay, maybe, you know, maybe this approach that uh, we're having in the West where it's like, there is no God, there is no spirituality, life is meaningless, whatever, you can infuse some of that meaning back into your life and kind of begin to take hold back, uh, be, be able to take the reins back a little bit from depression. So that's the way that I approach it. And I think um, I, I do want to be guarded or nuanced in this answer in the sense that like, uh, you know, I'll be totally like, totally candid. Uh, I went on a psychedelic experience in January uh, at a, a retreat center in Florida. Uh, you actually do this, uh, this, they call it a medicine. It's, it's a tea called ayahuasca. And you know, you're, you're there with a bunch of different people. Uh, I think it was about 80 people that weekend. 
and you know you you after you do the draw uh, the the medicine you everybody kind of relays their experiences and it's it's not one of those things where every single person is like you know I found the meaning of my life I'm happy now whatever it is um, so I don't want to paint it as this like silver bullet right but I think a lot of people did come away from an experience like that or, or the weekend that I went. Um, to this retreat center and had some really tangible things that they could then, you know, either uh, gain a new perspective with, uh, turn a new new page in life, something like that. And so I, I want to be guarded in the sense that I don't want folks to feel as though, you know, they can go do a drug one time and then everything will be magically uh, fixed or cured or something like that. But I also want to say that um, it is possible that you do one of these, uh, you, you know, you have one of these experiences. And if you do, please like just just be careful, go to, you know, go to a facility, make sure you're in the right set and setting and all that sort of stuff. Um, but sorry, tangent real quick there. But um, I do think that you can have an experience like this, come back uh, and have it affect your mental health in a positive fashion. Right now, I, I definitely agree with, uh, you know, what you're saying there. I think it kind of parallels what, you know, we, we talked about earlier, as far as, you know, just kind of uh, the approach of just being raw and honest about some of the, you know, this stuff rather than saying, oh, you know, uh, you know, like positive thinking is, you know, all you need or, you know, psychedelics, you know, uh, all you need and, and only focusing on like the positive side, which there is obviously a huge positive side and plenty of people who do have these, you know, as you're talking about these, these really tremendously healing and, and beneficial experiences, but, you know, also, uh, just, just from what we know of, you know, maybe used in the wrong set and setting or certain genetics, uh, you know, certain, certain genetic factors where some people might be more predisposed to, you know, serious mental health conditions that a psychedelic could potentially exacerbate. So I think it's, it's, I, I, I also have somewhat of a guarded or, or just kind of balanced, I guess, approach in terms of, you know, it, it's, it's a powerful, these are powerful tools and, they could be used for good, um, you know, when when in the right hands and people know what they're doing and what they're taking. But uh, there could also be, you know, some problems. I think, you know, resulting from this. This as more and more people hear about psychedelics, maybe are more tempted to use psychedelics who who weren't previously thinking about doing that. So, you know, I think it's it's definitely necessary to have, you know, have just talk about both the positives and the negatives. Yeah, I think it's so important. I, I also just like kind of want to add in, right? Uh, some of these drugs that you can take, they do have, they do affect your body in specific fashion. So, you know, if I'm talking about ayahuasca specifically, there is, it is from what I, how I know it uh, to be, it, it releases a ton of serotonin in your brain. Um, and if you are, you know, basically going into this experience, if you go to a retreat, they have you go on like a pretty strict diet for a couple of weeks. They also have you uh, make sure that you haven't been on any SSRIs or psychotropic medicine for uh, more than six weeks. And the reason being is that like when all this serotonin gets released, if you, you know, it can have, um, I guess both the serotonin and also just the, maybe the SSRIs or the psychotropic drugs that you're on can have really negative effects when combined uh, with a drug like this. And so um, it can be really dangerous and it, it is really dangerous uh, to go into, you know, one of these experiences without being um, 
I don't know if trained is the right word, but uh, without having done the pre-work, you know, being on the right diet, making sure that you're not having any substances in your body that that could have negative uh, effects when combined with the drug. So please just like for those who are interested in listening, uh, please do your research. I'm not saying that you shouldn't do this stuff, but you, you do need to be careful because uh, these are really powerful substances. Well said. Yeah. Yeah. Brian, you know, we're coming up on to the end of the show today. Uh, I really, really enjoyed talking with you and would love to, you know, maybe do a part two at some time, uh, you know, discussing even more about the the psychedelics and, and their role in, in mental health treatment uh, and whatnot. But, you know, for, for now, people uh, who enjoyed the conversation, who uh, want to find out more about your work or maybe read your books, where would you direct them to? Yeah, best place would be my website. So that's getoutofyourhead.com. All one word, no no dashes, no spaces there. Um, and then if you want to connect with me on social media, uh, place I'm most active currently is on Instagram. The account there is get out of your head as well. Uh, no dashes, no spaces there. So uh, I always like to say to folks on these podcasts, like folks who are listening, you know, if, if you do have an experience that you want to uh, talk about with me, or you know, you don't feel as though you have an outlet or somebody that you can connect with in your own life about uh, over what it is that you're dealing with, like please, please send me a message. I'm happy to to chat with you. You know, that's one of the rewarding parts of this journey, right? It's like I. Obviously, I would love to sell millions of books and be able to write full time and have that be my job. Uh, right now, that is not the reality. Um, but at the same time, it's like, even though th there is a money aspect of it where it's like, you know, I need to make sure that I'm selling some books that way I can continue the venture. Um, it's not about money for me, right? It's about making connections with people, um, passing on the knowledge and experiences that. Um, that I've come up with over the years and, and just trying to help people feel a little bit better, right? I think uh, you used the word community earlier, uh, you know, building the get out of your head community. For me, that's really what it is, right? I'm just trying to bring people together, uh, make them feel better, uh, provide them with some hope that, you know, whatever it is that they're dealing with, they can get through eventually. So uh, please reach out if, if you feel like, um, you know, you have a, a story you want to share, or you feel as though you're alone, because, um, you know, it, it, as, as we build this sense of community, I think we find that, um, you know, we, we aren't alone in our struggles, in our suffering. Um, and sometimes it just takes, uh, you know, reaching out and connecting with people to, to discover that a little more. Absolutely. Awesome. Well, um, for the listeners who enjoy the show, definitely go ahead um, and connect with Brian. Um, and also, if you guys enjoyed the show, go ahead and like and subscribe to our YouTube channel. It's Neuroflex, N-U-R-O-F-L-E-X. And you can also subscribe to the podcast on whatever audio streaming platform that you listen to it on, whether that be Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, or any of the others. We are on almost all of them. So Brian, again, I wanted to really thank you so much for, for sharing your time and all your knowledge and expertise with us today. And I really enjoyed this conversation. I did as well. Thanks for having me, Toby. Um, and yeah, I'd be happy to chat again in the future.